So I, I told you uh, uh, not too long ago that we're going to finish the book of 1 Corinthians before this year is over, all right? I promise you. I, I said it, all right? I'm not Jesus. You don't have to believe me, all right? But I, I want to be a man of my word. So we've called this series Run, 1 Corinthians, because Paul talks a lot about running, running the race, finishing the race. And so we've called it Run. But for now, uh, the, the second half of Corinthians, we've now changed it to sprint because we've got to sprint to finish by December. All right? So we're going to sprint through Corinthians. Some of you guys are like, ah, oh, good one, Alex. Yeah, all right, whatever. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think I need that music sheet. You don't want me singing. I don't know how that got up there. All right, so we're going to sprint through Corinthians. And so, of course, if we're going to sprint through Corinthians, we've got to start in Matthew. I know it makes no sense, all right? Matthew 14, verse 22. Matthew 14, verse 22. I love this story. I, I was reading about this story this week, and there's just some truths that popped out about this story that I thought, man, like I, I, I looked at it in a different way than I had before. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Cross to the other side of the lake. He insisted. That Greek word right there, it is basically like he, he forced them. He, he highly encouraged. Like it, It's like when a parent, like your kid is out of line and you tell them to do something, you know you're forcing them to do something they don't want to do. That's what he had to do with the disciples right here. They did not want to go into the boat. And so this story, it, it's interesting because if you know this story, uh, a little bit later on, a storm comes up. These were experienced fishermen. And so the likelihood is that they could kind of see the storm front coming in. And so when it says Jesus had to force them to get in the boat and go, like they probably knew and were probably even telling him, like, uh, the weather's not good. We should not be in the boat tonight. Like this is not a good time. There, there's other ways. We can just, you know, we'll find a place. We'll sleep. We'll go in the morning. It says he insisted. He forced them to get in the boat. And then he didn't go with them, okay? He, he did not go with them. He, got, he put them in the boat. Here's this carpenter telling these fishermen who know the boat. They know sea. They know everything about it. And, and there's this carpenter telling them, hey, this is what you need to do. Get in the boat and go. And they're like, this is a dumb idea. So here they are. He sends them off. After sending them home, he, Jesus, went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, just like they were probably all grumbling to each other. See, we knew there was a storm coming. We told Jesus. He didn't listen. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Like, haven't you just ever wanted a moment like that in your life where you just, you just did something just boldly out of faith and something miraculous or amazing happened? 
And maybe you've even asked Jesus for that in your life. Like, I, I know for me, I, I've read this story a lot in my life. There's so many moments where I'm like, I, I want to have that kind of faith. And we think it's this kind of faith where we can just like, you know, we should be able to just build it up and we should just be able to like strengthen it. And it's like, man, I should be able to go out and walk on water. You know, that, that's kind of always been my mindset. Like, oh man, if I can't walk on water yet, my faith is too weak. <laughs> like, I've just kind of, you know, I've beaten myself up as a pastor over that, you know, over that for the years, you know. And so, in fact, even like this summer, I, I did this little like silent retreat. And like, there's like this nice little like lake out there. And, you know, I was like just reading the word and, you know, praying and, and you know, doing all these things. And, you know, at one point, like I'm, I'm walking by the lake and I get in like this little kayak and I'm like, my faith, my faith, I got faith, I got faith. And I kind of put my foot out there on the water to see if I could stay. You guys are like, he's crazy. I don't know. I want to have that kind of faith. And so I, I put it out there and my foot got really wet. <laughs> I was like, dang it, I don't have enough faith. But, but I didn't fully understand this. Faith comes from hearing. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Peter didn't step out of the boat until he heard Jesus tell him, oh, there's some revelation. Like some of you guys are like, oh, okay. Like you, some of you, you've beaten yourself up over your faith your entire life. But you don't need to do that. If you haven't heard it from him, you haven't failed. If you haven't heard it from him, you have not failed. Some of us, we, we want that moment, but you have to wait until you hear that from him. Don't beat yourself up over your faith and saying, man, I don't have enough. Like, I, I, I'm just so weak. And I, if you hear it, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we want these special moments where he gives us this divine revelation, where he, he tells us something and we listen and, when, and we do it. And I really believe that the church, especially in a season of revival, which our church we are stepping into in obedience to his voice in our lives, that it, there's going to be special revelation that comes out. In fact, as we go a little bit further into this, you're going to start to see there are spiritual gifts that Paul's going to talk about in 1 Corinthians. I believe our church, you are spiritually gifted the way that Corinthians, that Paul talks to this church in Corinth. You have spiritual gifts that you don't even know or realize yet. And there's going to be some crazy things that are going to happen and that we're going to step into as a church. And we're going to see the miraculous. And we kind of want that, right? We want those special moments, that divine revelation. But before the divine revelation, what did Peter have to do? He just had to get in the boat, right? He, he couldn't have that moment with Jesus unless he had gotten into the boat first. Some of us, we don't even want to get in the boat. Some of us, we don't, want to even, we don't even want to step in the boat because we're kind of looking around at the storms of the world and we're saying, nah, the boat doesn't look like a great place to be right now. The world kind of hates the church. The world kind of hates scripture. The world around us, it is a storm and it's tossing and turning and there's thunder and lightning and we're kind of looking and we're like, I don't, I don't want in that boat. That boat looks dangerous. It is dangerous. It is. But that boat will take you from this side to the next 
It got them to the other side. We have to step into the boat before we can even have that moment where we get to hear from him. And so there, there is special, there is divine revelation, but there is just a, a, a general will of God revelation that he wants to give you. And most of us, we don't even open up the boat and read it for ourselves. At Revival, we talk about this a lot. You got to get in the word. You want that moment with God? He's given you a whole lot of moments right here of his general revelation, his way he's chosen to show us who he is, what he's done, how much he loves us. He loves us. So we got to get in the boat. So we're going to get in the boat today. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 19. When you get in the boat, there's some hard things. Chapter 7 is no different. And I promised Stone I'm going to finish chapter 7 today because he's preaching chapter 8 next week. Okay? So we're going to finish chapter 7 no matter what. I don't care if it's noon. All right? We're going. No, I won't be noon. I won't, I won't do that to you. All right? But hey, man, if the Holy Spirit's moving and speaking, pff, let's go all day. All right? Verse 10. Paul talking to the Corinthian church here. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me. Paul's good at this. He lets you know when something's from him or something's from the Lord. Not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now I'll speak to the rest of you. Though I do not have a direct command from the Lord, if a Christian man has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. In, in Corinth, there was a lot of people that were being converted at that time, but that didn't necessarily mean if they were married that both husband and wife were converted at the same time. And so there were some of them that were thinking, oh, my husband doesn't believe. He, he doesn't follow Jesus. I, I shouldn't even stay with him. I should leave him. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You bring holiness to your marriage. The way you live, the way you love, and the way you honor your spouse the way you value them, that's what that word honor means, that will bring holiness to your marriage. And it will be a testimony of Jesus to them. It will bring about transformation. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving them, let them go. Okay, there's your, if you're in that situation, there's your get-out-of-jail-free card. Or if you know a friend, okay, if, they, if that's how they feel, if they feel like they're trapped, if that's their decision, that's on them. Let them go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? Your, your husbands could be saved eternally because of you, because of the way you love them and you live with them and the way you honor them. And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? 
There's a greater calling than your happiness in life. Most of us, that's what we, you know, we, we strive for because when we look around at the world, that's what the world says. Just be happy. Just do what makes you happy. Do what feels good. There is a greater calling for the Christian than just be happy. You're a vessel for Jesus and bringing salvation to his people. Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. You had that going on in ancient times. Now, I know that sounds weird. You're like, how do you reverse that? There was some kind of surgery they were doing, and it was, I, I don't want to get into the details, all right? But there was something that they were doing because when they would go to the gym, it was very clear. The gym in that day, uh, you, you worked out in the nude, all right? I know, it's weird, you know, just strange, right? Weird times back then. They didn't have great athletic wear like we have today. They didn't have Lululemon, all right? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know anything about Lulu, but I'm sure they're fine, all right? Uh, there you go, another promo ad for Lulu. YouTube, give me some money on that. All right. Uh, so that's what they were doing. They were doing this weird surgery where they would try to reverse it to fit into the world. And then the man who was uncircumcised, when he became a believer, should not be circumcised now. For it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Like, if you're, like, not sure what the boat is, or if you're in the boat, like, or, or where to even start on how to get into the boat, let's just start there. Let's just go all the way back to Exodus 20. Just, that's all Paul is saying. Just keep the commandments. Just follow him. Be obedient to his word, the very basics. So Exodus 20, going way back here. Verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Just a reminder right up front, when we read these commandments, don't forget who he is and what he's done in your life. Because then all of a sudden, that puts everything in perspective. It's like, oh, oh yeah, he is the one who rescued me from my sin. There is no other Savior. No one else has come. No one else has offered what he has offered all of us. Freedom, grace, eternity, new life in him. Don't forget who it is that's speaking these words into your life. You must not have any other God but me. Start right there. Start looking through your life. Ask him in this moment, as we worship at the end, ask him, are, are there any gods, any idols I've made in my life that I've put ahead of you in my heart? You must not make for yourself any idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Don't abuse his grace and his love. Your decision to follow after him and obey his word in your life it has an impact for generations 
to come. Generation after generation because of your obedience and the way you walk and trust in him right now. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Keep it holy. Treat his name as holy. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This is one of his commands. This isn't just, oh, that was for back then. Like, he, you know, he doesn't understand, like, you know, seven days a week, we got to be grinding out here, working that other job. We got to be making that cash and getting the Lululemon and the Jordans. And, you know, we got, we got stuff to earn. He doesn't understand that, all right? No, no, no. The seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. Figure out how to Sabbath. It's a command from the Lord. And it's not even like, like, like it's not even, it, it's good for us. Like, like sometimes we look at that and we're like, you know, I, I go to church, I worship him, like that's great. You know, I give him, I give him that moment. And he's saying, no, 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 no. The Sabbath isn't for you, it's for, you know, it, it, the Sabbath isn't for me, it's for you. It's for your good. Let the soil rest, the soil of your soul. Let it rest. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock and any foreigners living among you. So if you own a business, if you have people that work for you, like you should really take a close look at the Chick-fil-A model. Because truly, it's the God model. Just so you know, when they take Sundays off, you know, you're kind of mad if you're, you know, on a road trip and you're driving and it's Sunday and you can't eat there when you see their sign at the exit. I get it. You know, I've been there on a lot of youth trips. Man, we'd always be coming home on a Sunday and I'd be craving Chick-fil-A and it's like, we can't get it. Sorry, guys. Sorry. But when you look at what they're doing, all they're doing is just doing what the word says. And they're being obedient to his commands. And I share this story a lot, but there was this business seminar, uh, a national thing, where all these great, you know, CEOs and business leaders got up and spoke. And one of them of a, a national fast food chain got up and said, I do not understand what is going on. We are open seven days a week, but we are getting crushed by a company that's only open six days a week. It's the law of the Sabbath. It doesn't make sense to the world but it doesn't have to. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Value your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder you must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. There you go. If you just wanted to know, if you wanted to hear from the Lord today, you just did. Like He just spoke to you. There's the boat. Like, if you didn't know, like, okay, there, there's the most basic, like, structure of the boat. Here's how you get in the boat and start following his will for your life. And when you start to just, like, just start with the basics, you're going to begin to notice 
a difference in the way your life begins to go. You're going to begin to see a difference in the way your relationships with those around you go. He's just saying today, get in the boat. You want that, that Peter moment where you get to walk on the water? You don't get that until you get in the boat and you're just obedient to his voice through his word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Even when we, man, I, I got like my first, here's a little story for you. I, I knew nothing about the prophetic or about spiritual gifts. I knew nothing about that. I, I didn't think they existed anymore until about a year and a half ago or almost two years ago now, coming up on two years. And, and I went to this worship night that some friends were hosting, Andrew and Kayla, friends. Uh, and and uh, I was at this point in my life where I was kind of lost and I didn't know what to do and I, I wasn't sure what God wanted me to do next. And we've all been there, right? Where we're just asking God, just, just tell me what to do. Just tell me where to go. Tell me, I, I don't know what to do from here. Because the one place I had been my whole life doing ministry, I, I, I'm not working there anymore. It's done. Like you clearly closed that door on my life. And now I don't know what you want me to do next. And I was just looking for him to speak. And I will tell you, up to that point in my life, I, I, I was just trying to be in the boat. That was it. I was just trying to be obedient and just try to like follow his word because I thought that's the only way he can speak. But there was this moment at that worship night where I was just kind of looking and asking like, God, just please like give me something. Tell me something because I don't know what to do. And, and near the end of the night, I, I was finally like, you know, my wife and I were kind of getting ready to leave. And this little older lady kind of stops me and says, I, I think I got a word for you. And I'm like, okay, sure, whatever, you know, and she starts reading stuff that she had written down earlier in the night in her Bible, and she starts reading these Bible verses, and just moment after moment, every word she spoke, there were things that she said that there's no way she knew. She didn't know me. She didn't know who I was, and there were truths that she spoke into my life about who I was and my identity in Jesus and what he was calling me to next. And that was the very first moment in my life I'd ever had a walk on water moment where I heard Jesus use one of his people and use one of their spiritual gifts to communicate prophetically to me. And it was a moment where revival was born. Because right there in that moment, I wasn't sure I was supposed to do this. I wasn't sure we were supposed to go forward with this church. And we were looking for God to confirm something. And in that moment, he went above and beyond in his confirmation for us. But that moment never would have happened unless I'd gotten in the boat a long time ago in my life. And I just sat in that boat for a long time. And it, it was great and I could have sat in that boat for the rest of my life and been fine. And, and that's what you need to know and understand also. You can just sit in this boat and that's the only revelation you ever get from Jesus and that's enough. It is. It will get you from one side to the other in this world. But I really believe the longer you sit in this boat, the longer you are obedient to staying in the boat, even when the storms come in this world, there's going to be moments where he's going to open up in your life some special revelation. He's going to use people with spiritual gifts. He's going to use you and your spiritual gifts that he has given you and anointed you with as his church, as his sons and daughters. 
And he's going to use you to speak truth and life into other people's lives. And you're going to invite other people onto the boat with you through the way you live and listen to his voice. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Man, you guys, we could say amen. Like, we're just saying, like, man, we're in agreement with the word, all right? Like, don't forget, we're a hollaback church, okay? So we could have some fun with this. We're interactive with God's word. That's what we're doing. When we say amen or when we say yes, or, you know, you can just kind of whisper it if you're, uncom- if you're a little scared, a little nervous, be like, yes, Lord, yes, God. Keep speaking through your word. That's all we're doing. We're learning how to interact with his word. Because it is living and active. That's all we're doing as a church together. We're learning how to interact with the word. That's why we get a little, you know, we try to encourage that. That, man, because it's fun. When you start to hear his word speaking fresh and anew in your life, you can get excited about that. You can say amen. You can say yes. God is moving in this place. In the worship, you could sense it. You knew the Holy Spirit was moving and opening doors. Let him keep opening those doors. Let him keep inviting you in to his presence. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20. Here we go, let's finish. I told you, we'd get, we're gonna finish chapter seven. Now you know what the boat is, okay? Here we go, let's keep reading what the boat says, what his word says to our life. Verse 20. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. No matter what your position is in this world, don't let that deter you from following after him. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. Now, regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, okay? I I know we got a lot of young, single people in here, okay? I do not have a command from the Lord from them. Here's what Paul says, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Here's Paul's wisdom. Because of this present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you're single, Paul's saying, hey, stay single. It's great. The, the, church, the church in the West especially doesn't really value singleness. Singleness is not a curse. In fact, in Paul's mind, it is a blessing. Remain as you are, okay? Um, but, I, I got lost there. Now, regarding your question about the young women, there you go, there we go, now I'm back on it. Because of this present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. Don't be like, oh, man, I'm going to follow Jesus, so, you know, I'm getting divorced. Don't do that. That's not what he's saying. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. Okay, so young people, you're kind of sweating there for a second. There you go. You're fine. You can still get married if you're like, man, you, you want that? That's great. Marriage is great. It's a blessing, too. Both are blessings. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you those problems. That's all Paul is saying here. He's saying that it just gets a little harder and a little more complicated when you bring someone else into your life. And some of you married people are saying, amen. 
Amen. You know, you know, it's different, all right? It's great, but it's different, okay? Let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed consumed by the weeping or their joy of their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. You can use the things of the world. You can use money, but don't love money. Money's not a sin, but the love of money, that's where it becomes an issue, or the love of possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. We don't get to take anything with us. Verse 32, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or who has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. Paul's not placing a restriction on anybody. And he's clear, this is, this is him. This is his opinion, what he thinks. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks that he's treating his fiance improperly, and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It's not a sin. Some of you single guys, amen, all right? Go for it, all right? Good for you guys, all right? But if he has decided firmly not to marry, and there's no urgency, and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiance does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better, in Paul's opinion, all right? That's Paul, you know, okay? That's his opinion. He's very clear on that. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. Okay, that's your one out. Uh, if you kill your husband, I think there's, I, I don't think that applies anymore, all right? Okay? Then you got to go all the way back to Exodus. Do not murder, okay? <laughs> so, all right, it's just, nobody's going to do that in here, I promise, all right? Amen, Okay. But only if, oof, if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But only if he loves the Lord. That, this whole thing, that, that, that's what it comes down to. Now that you know, like now that you're a believer, now that you know the general will, now that you know what the boat looks like, here's what the boat looks like for marriage. Unless he or she loves the Lord, no. Like, I don't know how you're doing it nowadays. If you're single, if you're kind of looking for like, you know, Tinder or whatever the dating app is, I don't know. But if, if they don't love the Lord, like the answer right here is no. And that's not just Paul's opinion. Throughout Scripture, you see that we should be equally yoked as believers. Now, if you're already in that situation, stay in it, just like he said. Stay in it. Be obedient. Stay in the boat, okay? Don't get out of the boat. 
Don't start swimming back to the side you came from. Don't do that. But, but, if you're looking to step into this, start praying and asking for someone that is going to, that they're going to be in the boat with you. Because trust me, it's really hard to do marriage when one of you is in the boat and the other of you is back on land. That's going to make for a really difficult life. And throughout Scripture, the apostles, Jesus, when you go through it all, they warn against that. Be equally yoked. But in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single, and I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. There we go, Stone. Made it through chapter seven. Got it, bro. Mark, Mark 10, seven through nine. Uh, Mark 10, seven through nine. We got that up there? Perfect. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Marriage is holy. So as a believer now, like you now, maybe you never knew this or understood this, or you were just kind of going by what the world said about marriage, like just, you know, what the world said about happiness. Just be happy. Do what feels good. Do what you want to do. Now, now I've ruined that for you because now on judgment day, Jesus will say, no, you knew better. That, that weird guy in that church that you went to about 30 years ago, he told you my word. He told you what it said, okay? So now you are held accountable to this. I don't know what your situation was before, but you know right now in this moment you can come to him and you can ask for forgiveness. You can repent of whatever it was whatever that struggle was, whatever that looked like, that difficulty, that relationship. But moving forward now, you have a renewed mind. You are one with the body of Christ. And so now because of this renewal, this transformation of the mind, you don't look at marriage the way the world looks at marriage. You look at it the way his word says. Worship team, you guys can come on up. We're gonna get ready to close it out here. And so now you know you are one. And this is a holy covenant. And so when you are joined together as one, here's what I've learned this past year where it gets complicated in marriage and what Paul is warning you about. Some scholars, they think Paul actually might have been married to a Jewish woman, obviously, before he met Jesus. And some of them think like in his writings, especially here in Corinthians, that he's warning people because he's lived it, that he tried to stay married, but it, it was hard and it was difficult. And eventually she chose her faith over her faith, her Jewish faith over following Christ and becoming a Christian like her husband. Now that's all theory. We don't know for sure, but the way he talks, you can see He's familiar with the subject, and he warns heavily on it. But when you are joined together in marriage, it is a holy covenant, and he is so serious about this, you become one. And so now all of a sudden, I, I, I've talked a little bit about this, but when you're trying to discern the Holy Spirit's voice in your life, and you're, you know, you're, you're in the boat, and you're going with him, and you're learning how to listen to his voice, now all of a sudden, that one circle that you were just trying to like listen to him and 
your wife, she's got a circle where she's trying to listen to him also. Now all of a sudden those circles are joined and you have to learn to listen to his voice and follow and obey together. That's what he's saying. It's not going to be easy. But as a believer, you commit to saying, we're in this boat together. And marriage is a boat that we don't get out of. We're going from one side to the next, and we're not stepping out of this boat from this point on. So in this moment, as we worship together, I don't know where you're at, but I know some of you in here, you've been through it. You've been through the heartache. You've been through divorce. You've been through these moments where you just, man, you know. Like, you know it was hard and difficult when you were together with someone that didn't have the same mindset as you. And Jesus, he was right there with you, and he's right here with you right now in this moment. And he comforts us and loves us and encourages us, but he gives us a better way forward than what we've experienced. Trust and obey and listen to his word. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ.